All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I am uh, also pleased to tell you that I'm the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, Uh, and you can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com. You can also subscribe to Chen's Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Also at miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I'd like to encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms and praises to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four. Taylor at gmail.com. Also follow me on Twitter under J. Taylor Media. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. This week our sponsors are RN Resources, Trimetal Mining, uh, Brazil Resources, and Uranium Energy Corp. Uh, I will be talking to the CEO of Trimetals next week and, uh, and then the uh, a senior member uh, of the Orion's management's team as well, um, and uh, I'm really, really excited about both of those companies. I own them both, and they've they are both recommendations in my newsletter. Uh, but uh, with respect to Orion, uh, the company has just made two exciting acquisitions: one in Peru, and another in uh, the Golden Triangle in British Columbia. And I think uh, this is a company that has really uh, management of this company has had a tremendous track record. Uh, of course, their flagship and main property is in Nunavut. Uh, we, we have spoken to uh, Ivan Bebek in the past about this about this company's project. Very exciting, uh, especially now when the gold markets and the junior mining shares are doing so well. Just to give you some sense of how well they're doing, I'm looking at the average stocks in my portfolio. We have what we call Progress A1 companies. Those are companies that are producing gold. Uh, those are the big names, the names you would recognize, like Gold Corp and Newmont, and uh, Barrick is not one of mine, but it's that's that's the kind of company that's in there, Agneagle Eagle, uh, and other smaller ones as well. But producers, and and most all of them profitable producers at this point in time, where gold currently is trading, some silver producers in there as well. But in any event, those stocks are up 115 percent so far this year. That's the average. Uh, we go to our Progress A2 companies. These are companies that have uh, done enough work and explored and developed a project in which some economic studies have been carried out. Uh, so a little more advanced than, say, the junior mining exploration companies. But the average for those companies are up 148%. This is as of last weekend. Then we have uh, the really biggest winners so far are the most 
speculative exploration stocks, those that are uh, that have found something in the ground but may not have yet done economic studies, and those are up by 208%. We're talking about so far this year. So on an annualized basis, you can almost double those numbers. Not that I think we're going to have a second half of this year as good as the first half, although you never know. But uh, certainly we have had a good time, and money is starting to flow back into this sector uh, which is allowing these penny stocks to rise very dramatically in percentage terms. So if there is a time when I think that you should be looking at junior mining stocks, it is now before this uh, bull market gets moving too much further. And we're going to be talking to some, a couple of our guests uh, today, both of our guests today, in fact, to, to try to get a sense of where they think we are with respect to this bull market, this new bull market that really got underway about in February of this year. So we're talking about February, March, April, May, June. We're talking about five, four and a half months or so of this move, and we've seen this pheno- these phenomenal returns thus far. So, I mean, you would expect that we'll have some sideways movement perhaps and maybe some time for people that haven't bought these shares to get back in, unless, of course, you think uh, this is a fake move and this isn't a real bull market, it's just a head fake. Well, uh, could be. We'll ask our guests to try to get a better handle on what they think about that. But if you look at things from a fundamental point of view, I would argue there are many reasons to be optimistic about gold. And I'm not saying I'm happy about that. I'm not saying I'm happy uh, that gold is going up. Well, of course, I'm happy that my shares are going up, that we're making money. But in, the problem with gold is that it tends to do well when the rest of the world isn't doing so well. And, of course, the reason I own the gold shares is because, as, as an observer of Austrian economics, I am absolutely convinced that the policymakers, especially since 1971, are taking us down the road of death and destruction, economically speaking, and unfortunately, I believe, possibly into a third world war. Well, why do I say that? If you go back to 1971, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, what he did was enable the United States to expand its military-industrial complex. He did that because if we had remained on a gold standard, it would have been impossible for the United States to outspend other countries. Because if we had tried to do that by going into debt, we would have lost our gold reserves and the system would have come unglued. So the United States, under Richard Nixon, decided to... Uh, to, to take advantage of America's superpower status and tell the rest of the world essentially go to hell. We are going to print money. We don't care if you like it or not, and we're not going to give you gold in exchange for our dollars. So when Nixon started printing huge amounts of money and Johnson before him uh, to pay for the Vietnam War and for socialism in America, we did it not by telling the American people they would have to pay taxes, but we did it simply by uh, printing money, by expanding the debt, uh, and and then uh, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, he arranged with Henry Kissinger to arrange with the Saudi Arabians uh, in exchange for military protection of the regime there. Uh, the Saudis then would, would uh, demand payment for oil and uh, demand that all of OPEC use dollars uh, and accept dollars for the payment of their oil. And so we've had this petrodollar system that's been in place now for several decades. The problem with it is that because there was no constraint on the amount of debt that could be issued, the amount of debt money that could be issued, and because the Keynesians uh, have no concept of, uh, of true free market economics, they thought you could print money endlessly and create uh, prosperity. Well, it didn't happen. We tried to do that in the 1930s. It failed. But rather than learn the lesson, 
the uh, policymakers decided that they would just keep doing more of the same. The argument was, we did it, but we didn't do enough of it in the past. So what we've done now is pull ourselves, I think, to the verge of, of, of some extremely serious problems. Uh, essentially, the U.S. dollar system is about to come unglued. I don't know the timing of it exactly, but I think the markets are starting to tell us that that's what's happening. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing debt is growing exponentially. So essentially what I think is a global economy, especially a Western economy, that is essentially bankrupt. Uh, the military-industrial complex is, is run amok. NATO uh, is now on the borders of Russia. Uh, it is clear to me that uh, what the Anglo-American empire is trying to do is to control the globe. And that's, of course, what all empires have, have strived to do throughout history. Uh, a very good movie that I watched this past weekend that I would highly recommend in the History Channel, uh, Barbarians on the Rise, I think was the name of the movie. Uh, it's a documentary that, that shows how the barbarians, those that the, the Romans called barbarians, uh, dug in their heels and they had nothing to lose. Uh, and so they fought at enormous cost uh, to start to give the Roman Empire trouble. Well, I think that's exactly what we're seeing now. And I'm not making any justifications for the evil nature of, of what we're seeing with ISIS and other radical Islamic uh, entities. But in a way, you can kind of understand it because the United States has expanded. It's using its military-industrial uh, complex, its force. It is going into countries, destabilizing those countries, putting in governments that serve our military-industrial complex. And in the process, we've hurt many, many uh, people and have tried to impose our own ideas and ways of life on those people. So to expect them not to come back in a blowback is, is sort of idiotic and I think is just not learning from history. In any event, that's a long-winded way of saying the conditions are ripe, I believe, for a major bull market in gold. Those are some fundamental reasons. We are going to be talking to Michael Oliver, who will give us some, uh, some ideas uh, in terms of his technical analysis. Michael has really been just spot on the way he's called this gold market and many other markets as well. Uh, so we're going to want to talk to him about, you know, many, many people going back two or three weeks, four or five weeks ago, were convinced that this was a head fake with respect to the gold markets and that it was all over, uh, that we would probably see a revisit to the old lows of, of last year in the gold markets. And Michael steadfastly refused to believe that. In fact, he had drawn a line in the sand at something like 1193 or so, and we got very close to that. Uh, and now we're, you know, close to $100 higher than that. Uh, so Michael has been spot on. We'll, we'll hear what he has to say today, not only about the gold market, but about the bond market. I think when we're looking at these major plate tectonics, as he talks about them, uh, in the markets, you can't look at one without realizing the relationship of, of all of these major markets. And I would suggest so far as the uh, as, as safe haven has been gold and U.S. treasuries, at some point in time, if Michael is right and the Treasury markets is in a blow, are in a blow-off phase right now, uh, when that comes to an end, then I would say we're going to have, most likely going to have, some very difficult times ahead of us. Can you imagine what happens if interest rates start to rise dramatically? Whether or not the Fed Reserve wants it. Now, I think the Fed would like interest rates to rise. They're trying to tell us they can rise because things are really pretty good. Uh, which I think is 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 completely false. If you look at the uh, uh, the work of John Williams, and if you read Zero Hedge every day, as I do, you're going to get the idea that what you're hearing from the mainstream media is is 
largely false. Uh, they would have us believe one thing. They want us to behave in a certain way uh, that isn't uh, in our own best interest, but might be in the interest of the people uh, of the ruling elite. And so, uh, in any event, we're going to talk to Michael Oliver. We do have to go to a break now, to our first commercial break, and Michael will be back with us. And then later, we're going to have Rick Rule with us uh, to tell us when we should start thinking about selling. Well, if you think that we're in the early days of a bull market for gold, then why would we be thinking about selling? The reason I want to do that is because I don't want to get stuck with owning a bunch of illiquid gold stocks when this market turns around. I firmly believe, personally, and we'll get the ideas of our guests today, that we are in the early stages of a nine-inning ballgame. Maybe we're in the second or third inning at most. So we should be early on. We should have two, three, four years to go, perhaps, in a bull market for gold and silver with some ups and downs along the way, of course. But if that's the case, then why should we be looking to sell? Well, because the really successful investors, are they sell too soon. Uh, Bernard Baruch said that, and Rick Rule is renowned uh, for doing exactly that. I can remember many times in the past when I'm at, a, at an investment conference and Rick Rule is telling everybody they should start taking some money off the table, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute, I'm, this party's just getting going. I don't want to do that. But Rick is right, and Rick has been an extremely successful investor. In fact, Doug Casey told me the best investment advisor he's ever had is Rick Rule can't come with uh, any higher praise than that from, uh, from a very successful investor himself, uh, Doug Casey. So we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because when we come back, we'll have Michael Oliver with us to tell us what he's seeing in the, uh, in the momentum readings that he has for gold and, and other uh, very, very important markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again, Michael Oliver. Uh, We've missed him. He was out the last couple of weeks. Uh, He was away, and then we had a a full schedule last week and couldn't find the time to get him on. But even when we can't squeeze Michael into our show, I like to sort of update my listeners on some of his latest remarks. And so 
Michael has become a very important person for me, and I think probably for a lot of the, you folks out there, too, in terms of keeping track of where the gold markets are going. So we're really pleased to have, have him back. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Glad to be back. Always good to have you, and I want to tell my listeners, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to keep up with what Michael does. Well, Michael, a few weeks ago, most technical analysts that I follow were suggesting that we would most likely have another test of the lows in gold, and one whom I know uh, follow and, and think pretty highly of, uh, he, he suggested, oh, at the time we were down about 18% from the peak, uh, but he felt that we were going a lot, lot lower than that, and though you basically sort of drew a line in the sand. I think it was something like 1193 or something like that. You were really quite convinced that your work, uh, your work was telling you that basically that was, that was about as low as we would go. And doggone it, you were right. What did you see there? Oh, about five things. <laughs> Most of them momentum-based. One was price-based. Actually, two were price-based. Uh, first off, we, we had the Thunderbolt upside in February. It peaked in the uh, same time that the S&P made it slow. Uh, like uh, February 11th or 12th, gold had surged up to 1260. At that point, uh, the rest of February, March, April, and May, gold basically oscillated sideways, making higher highs occasionally, but keep coming back down to the low 1200s. So it built the floor. Uh, the March low was 1206, the April low was 1209, May came thundering back down toward those lows, and everybody was pulling their hair out, price chart people, not me. Uh, price charts are very misleading often. Uh, and when they trashed that low, they thought, oh, boy, there's a real breakout. Um, I argued that, yes, you should take out those lows. It was necessary because you need to stop some people out. Uh-huh. You need to scare some folks. You need to say boo. Okay, case <laughs> the market. To correct, no, to correct the market, you really do have to emotionally yeah. rattle it. And one way to do that is to blow those lows. Trade 1,200, which means, of course, trade under 1,200. You rarely stop at a round number. Uh, but I didn't think we'd go below 1193.60, and there was a reason for that, and that low was, was a reaction low two days after the explosive peak at 1260 in, in the first, second week of February. Two days later, you traded back down savagely to 1193.60, and then rocketed back up into the 1200s. That was the first correction following the February surge, and I didn't think it should come out. All the other lows should March mm-hmm. low, April low. They did, and we stopped at 1199 in the dark, electronic trading at night. That was it. Mm-hmm. And now we're back above 1290. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, interesting. Yeah, so, and so we're almost, uh, you know, uh, more than 100 bucks, uh, about 100 bucks above where. Uh, where, where, you're, where you called it, which is a, a good move, uh, a good move for sure for our gold shares. Now, the gold shares seem to be taking a bit of a breather the last couple of days. Uh, what do you see there? Do you, you see something well, on the XAU? Or? I'm still more bullish on gold miners than I am gold. Yeah. Uh, that has not been the technical argument or the just, not justified to belong gold miners for the last decade, relative to gold, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, even during the big bull trend in gold that peaked in 2011. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, but that changed. That changed last year. It was pretty clear to us that we argued that when gold turned, you, you though you might want to buy gold, it's better to buy GDX or gold miners. So GDX is an unlevered ETF. Uh, it was trading at 13 at the time. We argued that if you hit 15.50 to 16 dollars, which we did in early February, you were going to 39. Is our ultimate target probably to be seen this year. Mm-hmm. We stopped at 20, uh, 26, had a $4 pullback, back to 26, made new highs, 
Right now we're above 25. It's still sort of congesting. But while gold has still not made the new high, uh, GDX has above the high it made in February, March, and so forth. So I still think gold miners are the place to be. I do think the congestion you see on GDX and gold since February is nothing but a rest stop on the way to a larger objective. And I've raised my gold objective from the 1450 area. I've raised it to 1460.70 on the low end up to possibly 1540. It's a broad zone. Oh. The GDX, I'm still stuck with 39. I think that's where we're headed. Mm. And, from a tw- and from a current 25 level, that still means a huge percent move left. And I think you can see it this year. Wow. At that point, I would do that. At that point, I would really do some assessing on the potentials for a pullback. Not sure. a bear market, but, a, but yeah. a serious pullback. But I think we've just undergone what probably is going to be, in hindsight, the big pullback of the move. Really? Seen it. So don't expect another until you get to your objective. Until you get up around 1450 yeah, around, or so. Around, yeah, around 1450 plus on gold in the very upper 30s on GDX. I would not oh. expect to undergo another process like we just saw, which is like three to four months of work. So this may be a good time for people to start uh, start looking to accumulate some some gold shares. I would think. Um, I have to ask you this: I saw one one person this last last couple of days suggesting that uh, he said, and I think you agree with this, that in a bull market for precious metals, silver usually outperforms gold, and yet that has not been happening. Generally speaking, I think gold is still remaining stronger. So this person says, therefore, we don't have a bull market in precious metals. What's your response to that? Um, I haven't updated it lately, but I do know that the silver-gold ratio spread uh, did shift into a, a, a trend-favorable direction for silver. I don't think it's done much since then, uh-huh. but I tend to lean toward the idea that silver is uh, probably going to beat gold. I wouldn't make a big issue out of it. Um, I, I, I do think it is validated that there is a precious metals bull market because the spread has changed enough favoring silver, especially in the last few months. Remember, we were silver was uh, 15, it's now a 17. That's a big percent. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, the, the spread ratio that I measure uh, shifted to favorable like a month or so ago, and, and I don't think it's come out of that. It may not have gone much further, but it, it, it did enough to validate that if that is, in fact, a requirement for a precious metals bull market. And they don't necessarily buy into that. Mm-hmm. Michael, one more, yeah. one more question going back. You said there were about five things you noticed uh, that, that caused you to, to draw the line in the sand at 1163. Uh, I'm sorry, at 11, uh, what, what was the number? 1193, yeah. Um, and, uh, and two of them you said were price. Now, I want to ask you, could have you predicted this without your momentum work? Could have you looked well, at those no, price it was, indicators? It was a combination. Uh, the momentum clearly said you were pulling back to support. In other words, when you look at a price chart, you were punching through a low, bunch yeah. of lows, yeah. the, the Feb March, the March April lows. So there's a, a, a floor that you were breaking below. So that's uh-huh. what scared the price folks. But when you looked at momentum charts, quarterly momentum or annual momentum, and plotted the same chart, the pullback was sitting on support. Uh-huh. So it was a, a totally opposite visual. Uh, view of reality. When you look at momentum and price, or price that I'm breaking down, momentum said, oh, you're in the catcher's mitt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. To use a baseball analogy, then yeah. uh, are we in the, uh, what inning of this long-term bull market? Forget about the 1450. The, what, uh, what, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a solid sense of, you know, yeah. looking years out, I don't have a solid sense yeah, of Yeah, okay. Fair I, enough. I take it in phases. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, take it in phases. All right. Well, that's yeah. that's very helpful uh, to take it in phases. That's for sure. Uh, not plan not plan your future indefinitely, but looking at the future, Michael, I don't think there's a market in the world that is more important than the U.S. Treasury market. And mm-hmm. you you put out an an article just uh, the other day um, talking about T bond blow off. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you know, I look, I call up a chart, I call up a twenty five year chart to see where we're at. And by golly, it looks like we're pretty close to something you could call a blow-off. I mean, it looks like yeah. we're in new highs in 25 years here. Yeah, well, the, uh, I, I ran a, uh, I used the futures. Uh, I went back about 10 or 15 years on the futures using monthly prices and, and looked at the price chart and momentum. They both agreed. They both said uh, the market, the T-bond market has been behaving robustly differently than it has in the last few years, not just because it's higher, but the, its behavior. It's hitting the top of a channel repeatedly on a price chart. Normally, when it hit the top of that channel, it would reflect downward sharply. Similarly, with momentum, we're crowding resistance, in other words, uh, with intent. Well, we're bre- breaking through that resistance now with this 171, 70, 170 to 171 action yeah. the last uh, few weeks. It argues to me we're going to blow off. Now, blow-offs might only last a few months, and that's what I'm expecting here. But I think you could get the T-bonds, which are in the low 170s now, up into the mid to upper 180s. That would take yield down nicely. But that's not occurring for good reasons. <laughs> and first off, blow-offs are inherently overruns of reality, mm-hmm. overpricing. And whenever a blow-off occurs that you can define, and then it starts to fail, you almost always will get an implosion. You will not get a gentle bear market. You will get a collapse. So when I see a blow-off on T-bonds, that doesn't mean go long bonds. I mean, if you want to, fine. But be very careful, because the real issue is when the blow-off ends, it will collapse. And I have momentum reasons to believe that and price chart reasons. But first, I think the blow-off comes. I think it could also be coincident with a sharp up advance in gold mm-hmm. and a sharp down in the S&P. But, but the, the, the fact that T-bonds are set for a blow-off, that also means on the other side, probably after uh, two, three months of upside, you'll see something on the downside we haven't seen in T-bonds in uh, many, many years. Uh, wow. Something that might be labeled a crash. God help us. That's all I can say. And 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 Michael, as you say, not for good reasons is a blow off, and not for good reasons are we seeing these enormously mm-hmm. low rates. But because they're manipulated rates, they're rates that the market's not calling for. They're rates that are dictated by the policymakers, by the central bankers. Uh, at at what point then? I mean, gold and T bonds have been moving together. Uh, T bonds crash. What happens to gold? I I think there's a divorce coming. And I think there's also a divorce coming between the inverse relationship between bonds and gold, um, and bonds and the S&P. I think when bonds peak and have a blow-off and collapse, that might be at a point when the S&P is making a a, a significant low for a six-month rally, let's say maybe in the high 1500s, let's imagine. Okay, Uh, At that point, though, the uh, sharp rise in long rates... uh, what do you think that will do to stocks to create another leg down oh, in stocks? my goodness, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think bonds and S&P could link up again. They're not always inverse. Could link up again, and when, as bonds get into a deep bear market, the S&P joins it because of the realities on the ground that are caused by the sharp rise in long rates. All right. And I, All right. And I think that gold will be the, the money of the world, yeah. It'll be the recipient of it. Well, I, I think you've made the case. Certainly one that seems highly logical to me, Michael. We're going to have to leave it go at that because we are out of time. Your insights always so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again next week or sometime in the near future. 
Look forward to it, Jay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Well, folks, don't go away. Rick Rule is going to be with us, and we come back from the break. You know, uh, Michael just uh, gave us a good reason to be long gold and gold shares, too. Uh, But there is a time to take profits, and nobody's been better at it that I know of than Rick Rule. So we want to ask Rick, what should we be looking for to try to decide when we should take some money off the table on these gold mining shares? So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Rule. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Rick Rule, who's the chairman and founder of Global Resource Investment LP. He's also the, a director, president, and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings, Inc., uh, where he leads a team of highly regarded and internationally recognized earth science and finance professionals, some of whom I was privileged to meet uh, in, a couple of years ago up in Toronto in the Sprott offices. Uh, I've known Rick for quite a few years now, and I've always known Rick to be really a a very likable person, um, always very witty and had a lot of very interesting speakers. So if you get a chance to to hear Rick speak or or follow him on the Internet, he does a lot of interviews there, I would uh, highly encourage you to partake of the uh, of the insights that he has and he shares uh, he shares very lavishly with people. So uh, thanks for joining me again, Rick. Always a pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk to you, uh, always interesting, and there's never enough time, so let's hop right into it. You know, you, you've been known for quite a while as a person who, uh, I can just remember many times, how many times I've been to these investment conferences, and, you know, we're starting to feel pretty good about things. We're starting to see our gold shares go up a lot, double, triple, quadruple, these speculative things, you know, and we think we start to think we're pretty smart. And then I hear a guy named Rick Rule saying, you know, folks, uh, this this party is getting a little out of hand here. We have, we've we've have record attendance at this conference. We haven't seen it this big since the last time. And then you remind us that the last time there were this many people gathered in one place uh, to celebrate mining shares going up was the end of a, of a lot of fun. Where are we now, Rick, in terms of this move in gold and and precious metals? You know, it started, I would say, around February of this year. 
Um, what inning of a nine-inning ball game are we in now? Is this second, third, or are we seventh or eighth inning? No, I think we're in the second or third inning to be sure, Jay. Um, I guess a couple ways that we could deal with that question, but the most interesting way, I think the most relevant way for me to deal with it, is that in my 40 years of experience of watching the gold market, the precious metals market, the most important determinant on the gold price has been the strength or weakness or confidence in the U.S. dollar. And in particular, the U.S. dollar expressed by the U.S. 10-year treasury. Mm. Since 1982, the yield on the U.S. 10-year treasury has fallen from 15% to 1.68, Yeah. And I would suggest to you that that means that the bull market in the U.S. 10-year treasury is much closer to the end than to the beginning. Could the rate go lower? Of course. But arithmetically, the move from 15 to 1.67 tells you that the move is closer to the end than the beginning. And if you believe that past is prologue, meaning that gold trades inversely to the U.S. 10-year treasury, that means to me simply that the bull market in gold is closer to the beginning than to the end. Mm -hmm. The second thing with regards to the gold equities, in particular the junior equities, Jay, is that those equities measured by the TSXV fell by 90% in real terms. <laughs> that means the market fell by half, and then it fell by half again. And then for good measure, it fell by half a third time. <laughs> a market that's down by ninefold that has then, then enjoyed an 80% gain, basically the up move on a long-term chart almost doesn't uh, register. Now, that isn't to say that you can't have a retrenchment uh, in a bull market rally, and I suspect we will. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see the market that we're in, particularly the junior resource equities, back and fill to consolidate the gain. And for some people whose expectation of the future has been as a, you know, formed as a consequence of getting hammered for the last five years, yeah. this little retrenchment will cost them a lot of confidence. But it's important, Jay, that your listeners remember the bull market, the, the recovery that we enjoyed in 2001, 2002. When the market was up by 50% in 2001, everybody thought it was a head fake. A lot of people sold out. And as a consequence of that, missed a 100% move in 2002 and the early part of 2003. Mm-hmm. I suspect this market has a long way to go. It just might not go there immediately. Yeah, I suspect a lot of people are seeing this as a head fake as well, uh, Rick. I, I've heard the people say, uh, you know, talk in those terms anyway. One thing about silver, I, I don't know if if you have an opinion on this, but Michael Oliver, who was on with us uh, earlier, uh, was saying that you know he he always believes that when we get these bull markets in precious metals, that silver will outperform gold. And uh, it was uh, one commentator, one writer for Sprott, in fact, was suggesting that this is a head fake, perhaps because we're not seeing silver move ahead of gold. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, people are impatient. Um, this takes a little while. Uh, my own experience has been that gold always leads silver. Uh, you will notice that the presage in, 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 the gold, in the gold market 
was the gold equities markets, which actually began to move up in October before the gold price moved up. And it's instructive to note that the silver equities have moved along with the gold equities, Mm -hmm. which might presage a move in silver. But my own experience has been that gold has always led the silver market, but that the silver market, when it begins to run, runs faster than the gold market. Now, that isn't based in any empirical sense. It's just observations of a guy who's been hanging around those market for forty those markets for forty years. But I would also, Jay, and I think you and I have talked about this before. Uh, there is a subset of silver investors that I sort of joke about as being gold bugs on steroids, <laughs> uh, and I think I think they're going to be by and large right. They just need to be a little more patient. Well, it's uh, the silver markets, of course, being much, much smaller than the gold markets. The gold markets are much, much smaller than the other, the treasury markets that you were talking about. Is there any reason, I mean, if we're not in a, in a bull market for gold and silver, I don't see any reason. There's no reason to own these penny mining stocks, I mean, unless we are. And if we are, as Doug Casey points out, you know, these are speculations. They're not investments. We should keep that in mind, depending, of course, where you're at and, and what kind of companies you're buying. There, there's certainly all grades from pure exploration all the way up to, to producers. Uh, but, I mean, we've just been through a really tough one. I, I had Doug Casey on this show a few weeks back, uh, and he was going through this long list of things that make the mining industry so undesirable. What a horrible industry it is. You've heard Doug talk about it, and you know it as well as Doug does, how difficult it is. Um, Doug noted that you can, you know, you can make huge gains in junior mining stocks, but you just have to realize that you're speculating and you're not investing. I, I'm sure you agree with that, right? I absolutely do. You know, at, at some of the conferences that we attend together, Jay, uh, I make fun of the speculators and talk about investments. And then my wife always says, "Rick, you're being disingenuous. All the money that you now invest, that you now invest, you made speculating." <laughs> and the truth is the same with Doug. When he talks about all the other investments he's he's made, he's made them all. He's made them all as a consequence of the money that he's made speculating in junior resource stocks. <laughs> it's the sector that we all love to hate. Uh, but the truth is, what you have to remember about the junior resource market is that it rewards you extravagantly, and then it punishes you extravagantly. People who are going to play in the game need to understand first, as you said, Jay. But it's an extremely uh, uh, speculative activity. The second thing is that securities analysis is more important than betting the waterfront. In other words, there's probably 200 companies out of 1,500 in the world that are worth speculating on. And finally, that it's extremely cyclical, meaning that you need to get involved when it scares you the most. And when you're feeling the most comfortable, the most confident, you have to exit. This is a this is a bull and bear market that either way takes no prisoners. Yeah, I guess the difficult thing is knowing, being able to gauge that, Rick. And I think, um, you know, I've sensed that you've been able to do it as effectively as anyone I know. And I know you're you're always one that uh, you you're not afraid to blame yourself and to uh, and and to at least act humble, even if uh, perhaps you're not. You, you shouldn't be acting humble, I don't know. But, I mean, you, you're always one that uh, is willing to say, I've made mistakes in the past. Uh, good for you, because I think that's how we learn, by owning up to our mistakes. But, as I said, I can remember so many times in the past when you were suggesting to people 
that it's time to take some money off the table. And I'm sitting up there, maybe on a, on a you know, with a with a panel discussion or something. And I'm saying, no, Rick, no, 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 don't tell me that now. But how do you sense when? enough is enough. I'm looking, for example, Rick, I'm looking at my portfolio in my newsletter over the first, since, well, this year. Okay, so I'm looking at my producers up on average 115%. I'm looking at my exploration, the most speculative group of stocks, uh, some of which haven't even, have a 43 on a one yet, and they're up 208% as of last week. I mean, isn't it time? I mean, you would think maybe we should take some money off the table along the way when you get a double? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, I, I have a little stock, which unfortunately I don't own enough of, that I bought for 10 cents. And the stock's at 40 cents today, and nothing has changed, particularly uh-huh. with the company. It's all sentiment. And uh, I normally I say sell enough that you have your capital and the capital yeah. gains tax paid. The truth is I sold the whole position. Uh, it gave me everything I wanted plus. You, and I want to draw a distinction, Jay, between the investment quality gold stocks that you might own right. and the speculative gold stocks. With regards to the investment quality gold stocks, it's pretty easy to, easy is the wrong phrase, it's possible to do enough fundamental analysis that you can derive a rational target for the net present value of that company in various gold price scenarios mm-hmm. and set appropriate trailing stops to mm-hmm. protect a substantial portion of the game which you have already enjoyed. With regards to the speculative part of your portfolio, from my experience, money has been made in speculation by taking a position in a stock that is going to answer some unanswered question in some identified time frame. If the answer comes back yes and the stock performs as you had anticipated, you should sell the stock. If the answer comes back, no, then you should sell the stock. (laughs) If the answer comes back, yes, but the stock hasn't performed, then you should buy more stock. Mm -hmm. It's important, I think, that you set a plan for what you're going to do with the stock, why you're buying the stock, when you buy it, and at the very least, revisit that plan at least quarterly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, I'm looking at a life cycle of a junior explorer that uh, appeared in Brent Cook's Exploration Insights letter, and you've seen this uh, the, this sort of schematic as well. We have the exploration stocks, and it's you know when the first drill hole is put down and they hit, you know they hit ten meters of two ounces of gold or something. Wow, the stock just runs. Then you hit another one, a step out hole, and the two or three more of them along the same, along strike, along trend, and they come back and wow, you know everything just goes absolutely nuts. Meantime, you don't know if it's economic or not, but the market is absolutely just going bananas over it, right? And I guess the question is, I guess investors need to be aware of when the drill results are coming in, how many more of them are coming in. And then, uh, and then I think what you just said is very important. And going back to revisit, what is your plan? What do you expect out of this stock? Because I think I'm talking personally now, I don't do enough of that. I buy something, it looks good. Uh, you know, I think, okay, we've made some money, but it's going to get bigger next, next season, another drill season. And, you know, it's got all this exploration potential. Um, but I guess you got to just take, I mean, you got to, you got to be willing to leave, leave somebody else have some of the higher risk profits that might be out there yet. Right. You got to be willing to sell and let somebody else stay in the stock until it, until it reaches that peak in the expiration cycle. 
I, I think that's absolutely true, Jay. And you also have to either do enough work so that you can quantify in some way, shape, or form the result of the press release, mm-hmm. or else pay somebody, uh, a newsletter writer, a broker, or somebody, or both to do it for you. You know, uh, a, a press release of a drill hole has to be taken in context. What we do here at Sprott is before the drill hole, we look at the data that went into the drill hole, mm-hmm. and we put in place a target size. Mm-hmm. for the deposit. In other words, we try and quantify what various outcomes will be worth before the outcomes come back to us uh, in terms of the strike length and the width of the deposit where the third dimension becomes the depth and the, and the fourth dimension becomes the grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try and say if, if A, B, and C happen, uh, this vil- this validates a million ounce deposit or a two million ounce deposit. Just looking at the press release without having any uh, context right. to put the data doesn't do you any good. All you're then trying to do is anticipate the impact of the news on the market. In mm-hmm. other words, you're counting on other people being even dumber than you are, <laughs> which is a tough way to make money. You need to be willing to put in the work or at least buy somebody who is willing to put in the work to put that information in context. All right. All right. Well, you know, I mean, you you guys do your early homework, uh, as you say, trying to understand uh, what the potential of the deposit might be before the first drill hole goes down. You start to get an idea of what that might mean and in your own minds have a sense of where you know, what you expect to happen. And uh, you went through the scenarios if it happens, if it doesn't happen, and so on and so forth. But before you get to that, I think the the most important thing, and you've made this point many times in the past, it's so obvious actually, but it's not so easy to do, and that's to pick good management teams to know whether you have a good management team. And there was an interview you did recently I read something about. You were talking about that. Tell our listeners what it is that you look for, especially specifically in this mining sector, for good management. Jay, the most important thing by now is to find somebody who has already been successful at least once in a role that's very, very, very successful to the role that he or she is playing in the current endeavor. Mm -hmm. Many people will say to us, you know, I have been successful in mining. And it turns out that that success may have been operating a gold mine in Archean terrain in French-speaking rural Quebec, Mm -hmm. where the job they have assigned themselves now is exploring for copper gold in young tertiary volcanics Mm -hmm. in Spanish-speaking Peru. Uh Those are not equivalent tasks. Mm -hmm. You want somebody whose success comes in a skill set that's very closely resembling the skill set at hand. The second thing I've learned is that you don't make real money having employee managers. You make real money having owner managers. Ah. Uh, Doug Casey taught me 30 years ago that if somebody isn't going to get really rich, they're not going to work hard enough to make you rich. You want people whose reward is not going to come from salary, but rather is going to come from share ownerships. And by the way, not free options stock that they bought and paid for. So you want to do business with partners who have been successful in the past in 
activities that are very closely related to the activities that they're engaging in on your behalf. Uh, you want to see them have skin in the game. You want to see their interests to be aligned with your own. And I know that certainly for investors that want to do their own homework, they can they can find out what the salaries are of the management teams that uh, uh, of, of the companies that they're owning. And uh, I, I think that's something that probably I should do more of too. You you know, it, it's very easy for companies, uh, managements of companies, if if their goal is not. Uh, to really make money by building up something, but rather to just keep the game going a little longer and raise some more money and pay themselves a good salary and live uh, live the high life. And certainly, we see this a lot less of it now, uh, Rick, than we saw at you know at the top, say 2010, 2011. A lot of that uh, tomfoolery's been uh, have been kicked out of the market. I think. Um, what areas in the world are, are you looking at and Sprott looking at? What areas would you uh, perhaps avoid right now? And what areas are you more keen to get involved in in terms of the geopolitics and uh, mineral potential? Well, we've always prospered by taking risk, Jay. Uh, so uh, I would say that I am much more tolerant of political risk than I am technical risk. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I have found myself, I've made lots of money in very ugly places, places like Congo and Eritrea. Uh, I'm maybe more comfortable with political risk than many of your readers or listeners. What I've learned personally over 40 years in speculative markets is that the most dangerous government is the closest one to me. So the most money that I've actually lost in terms of political risk was here in the People's Republic of California, (laughs) Castle Mountain. Now, the truth is that your listeners need to do a psychological audit on themselves and determine whether they have the psychological, not the financial, but the psychological staying power to be involved in countries that they hear very bad things about on the nightly news. The essence of wealth is enhancing one's sense of well-being. And if you're driving yourself crazy while trying to make money in speculation, maybe what you're doing is self-defeating. But I have found, Jay, that for people who look like you and I, we make the mistake of equating political risk to social and political risks we understand less well. Ah. The truth is that wealth that's stolen from us by white people in English, according to the rule of law, (laughs) is just as gone as money that's stolen more efficiently in Africa by traditional methods. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that is absolutely true. And, and somehow we think uh, our governments, uh, some people think our governments are doing us a favor by stealing our money. Right. Um, well, and so, um, okay, so I, South Africa and places like that, I guess if, if, the, if the project is right and the management is right, you might consider it. Yeah, we're, we're participating in two very nice projects in South Africa right now. Uh, we like them because we think they'll be lowest cost quartile producers in platinum and palladium. The market hates platinum and palladium, and the market hates South Africa too. And the consequence of that is that we're able to participate in some risky development schemes down there uh, at prices that are probably literally 5% of the prices that we would have been experiencing in 2010. Um, that's an awful lot of fun, Jay. 
Yeah. I, okay. And I guess through some of the funds that Sprott has, uh, let's let's just take a minute to talk about what some of the products that Sprott has that people might want to take a look at. Uh, you have mutual funds and you have ETFs, right? We do. Uh, for most American investors, there are really three ways to interact with Sprott. One would be our New York Stock Exchange Traded Precious Metals Trusts the Sprott Gold, Silver, and Platinum and Palladium Trusts. We believe that these are the most efficient mechanisms in the market for American taxpayers mm-hmm. to participate in the ownership of physical precious metals. They're New York Stock Exchange traded, so the transaction costs are very cheap, particularly when compared with owning bullion directly. But secondly, because they're trusts, capital gains, if you enjoy them, are taxed at the capital gains rate rather Mm -hmm. than at the ordinary income rate that you would pay if you owned bullion. Mm -hmm. The second way to to interact with Sprott is in our uh, exchange-traded funds. Mm -hmm. We have the Sprott Gold Miners ETF and the Sprott Junior Gold Miners ETF, which are factors-based ETFs. These are good for investors who don't want to spend the time necessary to study individual stocks but want to be involved in either investment-grade gold stocks in the Sprott Gold Miners ETF or speculative, speculative stocks in the Sprott Junior Gold Miners ETF. For more bespoke financial services relating to natural resources, opening a brokerage account or a management account with Sprott Global Resource Investors, which is our uh, retail and institutional investment bank and brokerage arm, is probably preferable, where we can craft uh, an investment portfolio more specifically customized to the needs of the investor. Okay. Um, You know, Sprott is known for its resource investing. Do you do anything uh, besides resources? I think I I saw something about uh, an ETF that covers um, social media or something like that. We have a very small ETF that's non-resource operated around social media and big data, uh, going back really to our founder, Eric Sprott's uh, expertise in terms of markets and also technology. And for your Canadian listeners, uh, we have a whole range of investment products, about 50% of which revolve around Uh, private credit and private lending. I think we're the largest of the Canadian asset managers in terms of prior credit and high yield strategies for Canadians. But those products are only available to Canadian investors. Rick, we've uh, spent most of our time here. I've got a couple of minutes left. We spend most of our time talking about gold and silver and mining shares. Uh, you are known as well for your energy expertise. What's your reading on the uh, oil and gas markets right now? Well, you know, uh, the cure for low prices has always been low prices. And the <laughs> cure for high prices has been high prices. We had very high oil prices, which of course led to increased supply and reduced demand, which cratered the oil price. When the oil price got cratered, some marginal production got shut in. And things like U.S. gasoline sales increase. So we're beginning to see an increase in the oil price. This increase has been too little too late to save the oil and gas industry from what I see as a real credit contraction in the third quarter of this year. Mm. So what energy investors are going to want to look at is opportunities in distressed debt. I think the oil and gas junk bond market is going to be an absolute train wreck. 
for the next 12 months. Uh, it's going to be horrific for people who don't know what they own and head into it long. It's going to be absolutely fantastic for people who pick among the flotsam and jetsam in that broken market in the first and second quarters of that year. Mm-hmm. Sprott will likely be allocating about a billion dollars to the business, a very, very, very large sector bet. Uh, any, uh, uh, so any, I guess, ETFs or any mutual funds that Americans might look at? or No, this will be a bespoke product. We'll, we'll do it uh, probably in individual accounts. Okay, understood. Very well. So, uh, well, there's certainly a lot of things going on at Sprott. What, one last thing yet, uranium. Any, any hope for the uranium sector? Oh, always hope for the uranium sector. I, 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 see, I, I see the industrial materials part of the resource business having bottomed, but I see a long, flat bottom like we saw in gold. I think you're going to be 18 months away from a real recovery in industrial materials. The industrial material that I see uh, moving the furthest is probably uranium. The truth is it uh, costs the industry worldwide about 60 bucks a pound to make the stuff. Yeah, so selling in half that. Yeah, I mean, they make it for 60, they sell it for 35, they lose 25 bucks a pound and try to make it up on volume. This is a no-brainer. Rick, we're going to have to say uh, we have to leave a go at that because we are out of time. My engineer is kicking me off the air. So thank you so much for being with us, and, and we'll definitely have to do it again sometime soon. Where can people go? Just tell us people should go Sprott, uh, go to their website. www.sprottglobal.com and click on contact. We will evaluate your natural resource portfolio for you if you send it to us. Absolutely no obligation. And also subscribe to Sprott's Thoughts, the best ideas from the whole Sprott world. I guarantee your listeners will get their money's worth because it's absolutely free. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rick, for that. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. Next week, William Angdahl will be with us. So we hope to see you then. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Primetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. 